If you have a Bible, I'd like you to open it to the book of Job. Job chapter 5 is where we'll begin, and we'll look at these scriptures in just a few moments. Coming to grips with suffering. As we start this new series today, it is a very sobering series that we're going to look at. This is something that touches every life. It has to touch every life because of the very way that suffering, you might say, came into existence. See, we live in a world that is out of sync with its creator. We see in our world today, we see war, we see famine, all kinds of abuse, all kinds of diseases, death, sorrow, depression, loneliness, pain of every kind. We see grief. We see disappointment. We see anger. We see torture and martyrdom. There's a tremendous amount of injustice in the world. We see diseases in children that either take their lives or leave, leave them disabled in some way for their entire lives. And, you know, people say, well, if God is a God of love, why does he allow things like that? Or if God is God, I hear this one, if God is God, why doesn't he do something about it? And they tend to want to blame God for what is going on in the world today. Very common. And that question, I believe, is raised more often than it's ever been raised before. Maybe you wonder that. We're going to answer that. See, there are many things we go through that we do not have answers for. And can I say this this morning? Some things we'll never have answers for, at least in this life. Now, that's important to realize. It is common for people to become bitter towards God and become disillusioned about the trials that they go through, and even life itself. And some people think, well, you know what? I'll, I'll get saved. I'll trust Christ the Savior, and all my problems will go away. <laughs> I didn't know problems till I got saved. Because once I got saved, God started working on my life to make me what he wanted me to be. Before that, I was just kind of on cruise control in my own world, so to speak. No, they don't go away automatically once you become a Christian. Some think that the answer to life's problems and we're seeing this more and more, is suicide. It is not the answer to life's problems. Listen, especially for the unbeliever. Now, I, am a, I have a firm belief and conviction, folks, that the idea of suicide is demonically driven, okay? It's the devil doing his great work. And you see, because of a society that has, in many ways, rejected the truth of Scripture, rejected the Word of God and adopted a secular mentality and adopted the idea that, you know what, this life is all that there is and there is no afterlife. Well, what could be more convenient for the devil to get people to believe? Because then there's no urgency to trust Christ. Then there's no urgency to, to get your spiritual life the way it should be through faith in Christ. There's no urgency if it doesn't exist. And so what do you have? We had one or two situations just this week in our nation to where these people committed heinous crimes. And when law enforcement caught up with them, you're seeing it more and more, aren't you? What do they do? They turn the gun on themselves and they kill themselves. What are they thinking? You're not going to get me. I'm going to end it all and that'll be it. No, that isn't the end of it all. Because folks, once we are conceived, we become eternal beings. And when we die, we're either going to end up in heaven with God for all eternity, or unfortunately, 
in the flames of hell for all eternity. And there's no second chances on this. There's no second chances. Now, people will hear that and they'll reject that and say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The truth of it is there is life after death. How do I know that? Jesus came back from the dead. He's the first fruits. We know there's life after death because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this issue of suffering, what is suffering? I looked that up this week. Let me give you a definition. The bearing of pain, inconvenience, or loss. Pain endured, distress, loss, or injury incurred as sufferings by pain or sorrow, sufferings by want or by wrongs. That is from Webster's. And by the way, that's an older Webster's dictionary, one that is not so much affected by the change in our thinking in society today. See, the question often comes up, if God is a God of love, then why does God allow suffering? Why doesn't he do something about the suffering? I've counseled with people over the years, believers. I can think of this one young man in particular, a believer. And I met with him and he wanted to make it clear to me. He says, well, the only reason I'm coming to talk to you is because my wife wanted me to. And I'm thinking, okay, we'll see where this goes. And so he had these things and it was like, he was mad at God because it was, wait a minute, there are children being abused in this world. There are babies being aborted in this world. There's war, there's famine and all these things. And where's God? And God should be doing something about it. And God should be doing this and God should be doing that. And I asked him a question. I'm surprised he didn't get up and punch me. But I asked him a question. I said, are you God or is God God? It sounds to me like you're God. Because you're telling God how he has to act. Folks, two important facts to realize at the beginning of this series. The first one is this. While we do not have all the answers, there are many answers to these issues. And we find them in the word of God. And we're going to answer the big ones today. They're found in the word of God. The book of Job, by the way, the oldest book. Did you know that? The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible It is largely devoted to the life of a man who was experiencing intense suffering. I don't believe most people will ever experience what Job went through. Job was a righteous man, but yet he was a righteous man who lost everything in his life, except his relationship with his Savior. All material things. He lost his family. Well, pretty much everything but his wife. And she wasn't the uh, beam of sunshine. She comes along after he's in total misery and she says, curse God and die. Well, he wasn't going to do that. It says this in Job 5, 7. It says, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. (laughs) And man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. There's trouble in life. There's going to be trouble in life. You might say, "Well, well, why is that? Well, again, two important facts to realize at the beginning. The first is while we don't have all the answers, there are answers to be found, and they're found in the Word of God. But the second one is this. It's not up to God to submit to man's desire to understand. In other words, there's no obligation on God's part to give us all the answers. But it is up to man to submit to God's truth. Now, you know, we struggle with that today. Do you know why? Because we have such a high view of our own opinion. We live in a society where, where we figure what I have to say is on equal value with anything else that could be said, including the Word of God. This is the way people think today. Talk shows, okay? 
people calling in, well, I think this and I think that, and this is what it should be and all these different things. No, wait, wait, wait. If God has spoken on these things, what we need to do as human beings is we simply need to bow the knee. Say, God is God. I am not. I get that. God is God. I am not. And I get that. It's up to man to submit to God's truth. I can't emphasize this enough. Because we do not understand something God allows or even sends to us is no reason to reject him. And yet this is where a lot of people find themselves today. God does not owe us an explanation for everything negative that happens in our lives. I can remember as a young Christian when this issue of trials came up. And I can remember somebody, and they meant it well, but I can remember them saying, well, you know what? You'll understand it someday. God will reveal it to you someday. And amen in this life. Well, the truth of it is not necessarily. He may, that's up to him. He may not, that's up to him. I can tell you this, according to the word of God, God loves us, okay? God loves the lost. How do I know that? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. God loves the lost, And he certainly loves his children. He loves us and he wants our lives to be blessed and he wants our lives to be used for his glory. And he has a bigger plan for us than we could ever comprehend. As a matter of fact, I am convinced he does not reveal everything to us as far as his plan for our lives because it would probably scare us to death if we saw what was coming down the road all at once, if we saw it all. So what does he do? As time goes on, he reveals it in increments because he knows what we can handle, what we can't. You see, that's what good parents do. They understand their children. They love their children. And they may know what's coming, but they know, you know what, if I told my little son or my little daughter about this, it would scare them so bad. I'm not going to tell them about it, but I'm going to work in their lives because I love them so much. What's God doing? He's asking us folks, above all, He's asking us to trust him. He knows what he's doing. He makes no mistakes. Now, we will see in this series that there are many reasons for suffering. I ask you to go through this entire series with me. This is a topical series. I believe that's how it has to be covered in Scripture. But I ask you to go through it. That way we get a balanced view and we see how the dots connect. So be here. Would you do that? Be here for every single one of these. We need to get a biblical view on this gripping issue. And make no mistake, it is. And listen, as we go through this, I'll say this on the front end. We've got some pointed things to cover in Scripture. I don't want you to think as we go through them, and some of the points are made, that I don't care. I do care. But just like in Sunday school today, there are choices to be made that we have to respond properly to the circumstances and the truths of God's word. That's the challenge for us. God is not going to change. That's the challenge for us. Some of the reasons that we're going to see are sent directly from God himself. Others are self-inflicted. Okay? Self-inflicted. Now let's begin with the main reason. Why is there suffering in the world? Number one, here you go. This is the main reason there is suffering in the, in the world. The main reason there is suffering to begin with is because of the curse of sin. The curse of sin. This is foundational. Let me explain, okay? Sin and the curse that it brought with it is not God's fault. Sin is man's fault. 
We find many times in in the world today when we see injustice and we say, why doesn't God do something? Why does God allow this? And all the things. Folks, sin brought death. Sin brought disease. Sin brought heartache. Sin brought pain. Sin brought abuse. Sin brought war. Sin brought selfishness. It was brought by sin. None of these things would be here were it not for sin. And God is not the one who sinned. Man sinned. So if you're going to blame anybody for the world situation, let's blame man, not God. You might say, well, well, yeah, but God is the creator. Yes, he is. And he created man with the ability to make choices. That's called, we call it free will, the ability to make choices. God gave man the ability and God wanted man to make right choices, but he blew it early on. And we've been suffering ever since. Look with me to Genesis chapter 3. Man is the one who chose the wrong. God gave him the freedom to choose. Man made the wrong choice. He could have chosen right, but he didn't. Remember, the world started off perfect. Not only has sin messed up man, sin has messed up all of creation. Do we understand that? All of creation. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent, we know this is the devil, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You notice this is the great method of Satan. He's never changed. He begins with putting doubts in our mind of what God said. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not die. So he wants to get us to question it, and then he wants us to deny what God said. For God knows that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's interesting. Evil. There was no evil in creation and in man at this point. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. So much for male leadership. Jump down to verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly... Now remember, there is no sin, no death, no sorrow, no testings, no trials, no grief, no suffering until they sinned. Verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy what? Sorrow. First use of the word in the Bible. Comes right after the fall. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, he shall rule over thee. Verse 17, and unto Adam, he says, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In what? Sorrow. Three times in two verses, sorrow is used. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Sin brought a curse, not only on mankind, brought death into creation, death into mankind and also into the world and into the universe. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. And here's kind of a summary of what we just read. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Imagine, folks. Now, we understand, and for believers, we, we, we understand that if you've trusted Christ as Savior and you die, you immediately go into the presence of God. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we can rejoice in that. But at the same time, there's grieving that takes place. Oh, yes, we understand the spiritual truth, but there's grieving oftentimes that takes place. Do we understand if man would not have sinned, there'd never be any grieving of any kind? Man is the one who messed it up, though. Romans 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. What's the result of this? Go over to chapter 8 of Romans. And here you go. All of these things based on the fact that man made the wrong choice and in that death came in through sin and it has tainted everything since. Romans 8 verse 18, Paul says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, you notice the what of this present time? There it is again. Suffering, suffering, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Verse 21 now. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in what? Pain. Pain. If man had not sinned, there'd be no pain. None. No sorrow. No death. No sickness. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. There'd be no groaning had man not sinned, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, he says, for since by man came death. Do we see it? It doesn't say for since by God came death. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Realize this. It is God himself who has come in the person of Jesus Christ to save us and will come to rescue us and to make things right again. Folks, we just got done studying the book of Revelation verse by verse. What does the scripture tell us? He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. There will be no sin, no suffering, no pain, no sorrow, no tears. One day it's going to be perfect. But you see, that's in spite of what man did. Man did what he did, and people want to blame God for the way the world is. But listen, we ought to be praising God that he has given us the solution, and that is found in the cross work of Jesus Christ. It's because of Christ that there can be hope, because without him, there'd be no hope. We'd be just simply stuck in this cursed, sorrowful, painful world. God didn't do it. Man did it. But through Jesus Christ, it's all going to be right one day. And for the believer, we can experience much of that now. 
in our own lives as we walk with the Lord. So the very one people blame for man's sin is the very one who delivers man from his sin. So let's quit blaming God. Let's blame each other. The one who allowed man to wreck his own life is the very one who saves man from his own destruction. See, God is not the villain. Man is the villain. Now you might say, well, people aren't going to accept that. But it's the truth, okay? It's the truth. (laughs) And you'd be much better off if you do accept it. And by the way, God's not going to rewrite it. He's not going to say, oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. This is the 21st century. Let me come out with the revised edition of the plan. Okay, I'll take all the blame. It's all my fault because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I want to be liked by you. This leads us to our second reason for suffering. So what is our first reason? The main reason there is suffering to begin with is because of the curse of sin. And man is the one who brought it in. All right? The second reason for suffering is this, so that people will look to the Lord and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is not trite. This is huge, as our president would say. He hasn't been saying that much lately, has he? Not that I've been following closely. So that people will look to the Lord and trust Christ the Savior. While people many times do not see the significance of that, it is of the greatest significance to God. Because God views our lives, our world, and everything that there is created, he sees it through eternal eyes because he's an eternal God. He sees beyond time and space. He's outside of that. And his values are eternal values. Ours are usually temporal. Turn with me to John chapter 12, the gospel of John chapter 12. Jesus made a very, very profound statement here in John chapter 12. You see, folks, it is true. The world has been wrecked by sin. Our lives are wrecked by sin. We have a death sentence on our heads. That's the beauty of the gospel because we have a death sentence on our head, yes. But through Christ, we can have eternal life, eternal life. How exciting is that? Jesus said in John 12, 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, look at this, will draw all men unto me. God is using or allowing, and he is using suffering in this world to bring people to himself through Jesus Christ. He might say, yeah, but people are suffering. Listen very carefully. Number one, they're suffering because of sin in the world. Okay, the curse of sin in the world. But folks, if we're going to suffer in this life, it is a temporary suffering. It doesn't make it small. I get that. It is a temporary suffering. How much better to seek out the Lord and understand the gospel and put your faith in Jesus Christ so you don't have to suffer forever because of your sin. If our response to suffering ends with the suffering itself, we've lost sight of God and his plan. Folks, we have to look beyond this. We have to look beyond the temporal nature of suffering. Every one of us have heard testimonies of people who have trusted Christ the Savior because of their lives having first fallen apart through some tragedy and some trial where they were suffering. They came to an end to themselves. They were distraught okay? They wanted to die. They'll say, I was hopeless. I was hopeless. And then, don't you love that? And then I heard the gospel. Yes, God was allowing that so that you would 
look to the Lord and understand the gospel and trust Christ so that you could have everlasting life. When? The moment you trust Christ. See, by the way, everlasting life doesn't start when you die. Everlasting starts the moment you trust Christ. (laughs) The choir sang the song. Jesus, he that believeth on me hath, that means possesses now, everlasting life. And it's everlasting life. It never stops. Many will say, I didn't look up until I was flat on my back. Yes, God allowed that. Or he brought it into a life. See, nothing is more important to the Lord than a soul who trusts Christ the Savior. That's why Jesus came. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. Remember, Jesus is the one who gave John 3.16 when he was speaking to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What a beauty that is. Look with me to John chapter 9. Here in chapter 12, jump over to chapter 9. Turn back a few pages. Here's an example of what I'm talking about here on this second point. So that people will look to the Lord and trust Christ as Savior. God is doing a work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all over the globe. By the way, you, you talked to Brother Piggott about this. He travels extensively. You've been recently in China right? Talk to him about what God is doing in other parts of the world. It is unbelievable what he's doing. See, we tend to almost have an imperialistic mindset that the world is the United States, that that's everything. No, it's not. God is doing marvelous things in other places. John chapter 9, verse 1, and and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Look at that. By the way, he wouldn't have been blind from his birth if sin had not entered the human race. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was a common thing then, and it's a common thing now. People say that. Well, boy, look at that. You know, they, they, they had a child born with deformities or whatever. Boy, you know, they must not be living right or something like this. No, no, not necessarily. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, watch this, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. You might say, hmm, I wonder what that is. Read on. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. You might say, my, what a marvelous thing. This is great. It is great. But it's not as great as what's about to happen. Remember, God looks from an eternal perspective, not just temporal. Yes, he works in time and space, but he has a bigger thing going on. Well, this man who was born blind, who had his sight given to him by the Lord, he ends up having a heated conversation with the Pharisees. Nothing new there. And they cast him out of the synagogue. We pick up the story in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Do you see the value of Christ? 
Yes, he cares about our everyday lives, folks, but he, he cares most of all about our salvation. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Yes, God brought physical healing, but more than that, he brought spiritual healing into the life, okay? Because this is a bigger deal even than the physical. Folks, this is a major reason for suffering so that people will look to the Lord and hear the gospel and trust Christ as their savior. This is so incredibly important. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, what a verse. For the wages of sin is death, but there's that transitional word. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You notice the wages of sin is death, but the Lord himself, yes, he allowed man to have the free will, and yes, man blew it, and yes, death came in by sin, but God himself was the solution in the person of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, okay? The gift of God is eternal life. Can I ask you today, have you ever understood that? Have you ever understood that going to heaven is not something you earn by your good works or behavior? That it's not something you, that it's something you can't earn by your good works and behavior. Why? Well, because we're sinners and our sin disqualifies us from getting to heaven. We can't go to heaven with our sin. Let me illustrate it to you. Maybe some of you have never seen this. If this hand were to represent you and me, or let this wallet represent sin, I know it represents sin because it says so. See, it's sin. It says it right there. This was given to me by, uh, we had a man in our church for a while. He was a uh, He was a gymnastic instructor, very talented young man, a Mexican-American. And um, his dad is a leathersmith. He works with leather down in Arizona. And this man who was coming to our church, this this gymnast, uh, gym instructor, he so loved this illustration that I'm sharing with you, he went back and he told his dad about it. And his dad loved it. And he says, you know what? Why don't I make that guy a wallet with that on there? And they sent it to me. Been using it ever since. It's easier to get out of my out from under here than it is my pocket. So here it is. Here we are. We're sinners. We all have sin on us. The Bible says God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. You see, folks, sin separates us from the Lord. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin. How many of you have ever sinned before? Would you raise your hand? Okay, if your hand's not up, you're a liar. So you've just committed your first one. God loves us. He hates our sin. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless. None of us are sinless. Therefore, all of us are disqualified. See, this is why good works won't pay for sin, because we're already disqualified. We've already messed it up. God says if we pay for our own sin, we'll have to die physically and spend forever separated from God in hell. The wages of sin being death, okay? A a payment must be made. We have broken the law of God. There's a fine that has to be paid. Just like out here on County Road 8, 45 miles an hour. If you break that, if the cops catch you, they can issue you a ticket. You go to court, 
you have to pay the fine, and you can stand before the judge and you can say, Judge, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I promise I'll never do it again. And the judge would say, well, you know what? I hope you don't, but you still have to pay the fine. Being sorry for this doesn't take it away. A death payment is what is required. If we do it forever separated from God, good works, nope, going to church, that won't take it away. Turning from sin, that won't take it away. Giving money, that won't take it away. Getting baptized, that won't take it away. Reforming your life, that won't take it away. Stopping all your bad habits, still there. I won't take it away. We sing the the hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, God knowing that, loving us, hating our sin, he essentially looks at us and he says, you know what? I'd rather die than live without you. And he took on flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, sinless. God in the flesh. And when Jesus went to the cross, watch this, friend. When Jesus went to the cross, all the sin you've ever done or ever will do to the day you die, Jesus came and he took it all upon himself. He made the complete payment, leaving us nothing to pay for. That's why he said when he died on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. He shed his blood to pay for that sin. Three days later, he came back from the dead. And the Bible says, if you will put your faith, your trust in him, he will give you as a gift everlasting life. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. John chapter 6. Let me give you John 3.16 again. Watch this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If all your sins are gone, can you go to heaven? Yes. The only way you can get your sins all gone, if I could use that phrase, is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ that he made that payment for you. The verses I trusted Christ as my Savior on in August 2nd, 1972. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Can I show those to you behind me here? It says this. It says, for by grace are you saved. What a beautiful phrase. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Unmerited means you can't earn it. Okay? Beware of any preacher who says, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be willing to pay a price. No, friend. That has to do with living for Christ, not getting to heaven. Okay? Going to heaven is a free gift. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. Yes, a price had to be paid. Death payment had to be made. But Jesus did it as our substitute. He came and he died for us. And he says, if you will believe, if you'll trust in him, that's what faith is. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Not something you can do. Notice the next phrase. It is the gift of God. The gift of God. Gifts are free. Not of works. Look at that. Not of works. Verse 9. Man, you know what? The first time I saw that, I was raised in a religion that taught me it was by my works. And when I saw Ephesians 2, 8, 9 the first time, honestly, it was like time stood still. It was like, bam. And it's like God was saying, what are you going to do with that? Here it is. Now, I'll just mention this. I was raised Roman Catholic. And you know what? There are some things I'm thankful for that I learned in the Catholic Church. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you know what they taught us? They taught us that the Bible was the Word of God. At least that's what I got taught. 
that the Bible was the Word of God. Now, most of them didn't understand it. Most of them thought that whatever the Pope had to say was on equal terms with the Bible. But at least we learned the Bible's Word. You respect this book. My parents taught me to respect this book because this is the Word of God. So there I was. I heard the gospel and I saw those verses. Not of works. And I was like, how can that be? I've learned all my life it was by my works. And then the other thing, probably the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but it's in the Bible. Yeah, but you know, the authorities in my life, by the way, I was taught to respect authority. That's another good thing. The authorities in my life, they say, it is by my good works, but this is the one that did it. The thought came to my mind, yes, but this is God's word and God can't make a mistake. And I decided to put my faith in Jesus Christ and God saved me by his grace. For by grace are you saved. Not for by works are you saved. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And yes, dear friend, once you're saved, you are saved forever, no matter what. No matter what? No matter what. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, all your sins are paid for. Now, is it good for us as Christians to live for Christ? Absolutely, it's good. Not to get to heaven. Okay? Not to stay going to heaven. Not even to prove you're going to heaven. Who'd I have to prove it to? God's the gatekeeper. That's the only one who matters. And he's the one who saved me. No. It's a thank you to the Lord for what he's done for me. Let me ask you today. This issue of suffering. Coming to grips with suffering. You know, the greatest thing you can do to come to grips with suffering is to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You may suffer in this life. But you won't suffer in the next. You'll live forever in the presence of God. Would you trust Christ as your Savior today if you've never done that? By the way, you're not promising anything. You're not promising anything. You're saying, you know what? I understand I'm a sinner. I understand I can't save myself. And today, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.